Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Welcome, family and friends. Thanks for tuning in today. We're so glad that you joined us. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Big shout out to the Revo fam that's tuning in, Uh, all of our friends, uh, neighbors, co-workers, complete strangers, first-time guests. Uh, We we have the platform streaming on uh, our website or on Facebook. Maybe you're joining us on YouTube. Uh, Facebook Live, uh, MySpace. Are we on MySpace? I'm pretty sure we're on MySpace. Tinder? We don't have Tinder. (laughs) But if you have Tinder, thank you for being here today. We're so glad, wherever you're tuning in, whoever you are, we're so glad that you're here. I got a confession to make uh, as your pastor. Uh, I have an imperfect family. I know if you know me, that does not shock you at all. I don't have the perfect marriage. I don't have the perfect kids. I don't have the perfect family, and I don't have the perfect life. That's part of the reason why we named this series Our Imperfect Family, because hopefully, like like me, you can really relate to that. But I will say this. There are some perfect families, and you know who they are. You have those friends or those people that you follow online that you are convinced and they are convinced that they have the perfect family. Here's here's how you can tell. You ever notice the perfect family always goes on those awesome vacations every single year? And they know, you know that they go and, and they know how awesome it is. Why? Because they are quick to tell you how awesome their family vacations are. Have you ever seen a perfect family's kids? They're always dressed that like it's clean clothes, they're ironed clothes, they're matching clothes, it's designer clothes. Like they're always perfectly put together, they match. They're just absolutely the perfect family. And you know that because you follow them on social media and they they post pictures of it all the time. Have you ever noticed uh, what the perfect family is doing during quarantine? Like they'll, they'll tell you, they've, they've shared it with you, and I've, I've seen it as well. If you interact with the perfect family, like, what are you doing? You ever notice their kids have spent zero time on screens? You know that? Like, they don't have phones or iPads. They don't watch TV all day. You know what they've been doing? They've been out going to different playgrounds throughout the city, and they've been picking up trash, and they've been serving other people. You ask the perfect family what their kids yes- did yesterday. They didn't watch any movies. They didn't do any screen time. They were busy in the kitchen all day making homemade cookies so that their perfect family could take those perfect homemade cookies and deliver them to all of the senior citizens in their neighborhood with a roll of toilet paper and a thank you note to let them know that you're with them. <laughs> it gets even worse when you have a perfect family in a church. Because they'll tell you what they do. They'll tell you how perfect their family is. Every night you can catch them around the the kitchen table and they're holding hands and their kids are taking turns praying for all the people that have less than they have all the way around the world. That's that's, they do that every night. And, and right before they go to bed, they're, they're crouched around the Bible and they're reading Bible stories. And they always do their devotion. They never miss a family devotion. Before each kid kisses the other one on the cheek and tells them how thankful they are for them and, and what, a, what a great and, and perfect family they have. You ever known perfect families like that? I, my family is not perfect. Can I tell you what we did yesterday? 
I didn't pick up trash with my family on the side of the interstate. I didn't deliver any cookies. I cooked a bunch of frozen pizzas, and my kids watched like five hours of Disney+. Plus. That's the perfect family, right? Man, I'm imperfect. I have an imperfect family, an imperfect marriage, imperfect kids. They don't always behave. They don't always do what I tell them to do. They don't always act like they're supposed to. Can you relate to that? Like Maybe you're like me, and you don't have the perfect family. Maybe you have an imperfect family, and that's why we're doing this series today. But when you read in Scripture, there's actually a lot of hope for imperfect families, if, if your family is, is imperfect like mine. There's a lot of hope that we find in Scripture. Uh, at the very beginning of the Bible, one of the first things that God creates is the family. He creates a man named Adam and a woman named Eve, and he gives them one job, kind of one family mission. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. Have some kids, work on the earth, and enjoy everything. And Adam and Eve had the perfect family for about five minutes. And then on the second page of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, we see where all of that went out the window. And so uh, that's what I want to look at today. If you have an imperfect family, if you need a little hope and a little encouragement, if you're not the absolute perfect life and family and marriage and, and, and family in general, if it's not perfect, maybe it's a little rough around the edges, I think Scripture has a lot of hope to offer families like yours and families like mine. So I want to do Genesis chapter 3, and I want to give you a few things that your family and my family will struggle with, a few things that will be pitfalls that, that make life imperfect, things that we will face. It's the same things that the very first family faced in Genesis chapter 3. And the reason why I think this is so important for you to jot this down and, and to really dial in over the next few moments is I believe that if we can identify these areas these pitfalls that are in front of every family, maybe we can actually see them before they're coming and, and avoid them altogether. Or at the very least, if you find yourself in one of these pitfalls, maybe this will give you kind of a positive way and a heads up on how you can turn a, a tough situation into a situation that's full of hope, and we can actually have a great response for it. So if you have your Bible, you can flip to it or open up your app or turn to it. In, in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at a story of the, the very first family and how it went south pretty quick. And they went from the perfect family to a very imperfect family after about five minutes of being a family. Here's what verse 1 says. Now, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. From the very beginning, I want to share with you one thing. Take notes. Jot this down. I think it's going to be really helpful. It's really helpful for me in my imperfect family. Here's the first thing that you're going to face. The first thing that is going to have the potential to tear your family apart, tear your marriage apart, tear your life apart. And it's the same thing that the first family faced in Genesis chapter 3. Here it is. Number one, we face a culture that questions God and truth. 
That'll tear your family apart. That will challenge your marriage in every aspect of your life. I want you to notice the two questions that Satan asks this first family. It's the same two questions that we face today. The first question was, did God really say that? Like, there's this habit that we are going to question God in every... Wait a minute, Eve. Did God really say that you couldn't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden? And then when Eve said yes and she quoted what God said, he goes to his, his second strategy, and it's the same strategy that, that we hear today in culture. He said, yeah, okay, so he did say that, but is that really true? I mean, come on, that, that's not true because God even knows that when you eat it, it's going to make you happier, it's going to make you better, it's going to make you livelier, it's, it's going to make your life more awesome and perfect. Now, we don't have talking snakes today. If you've been talking to a snake lately, then quarantine has gotten the best of you. And you, for your own mental health, you need to take a step back and, and readjust your mind. So, we don't have talking snakes today, but there are plenty of voices that are speaking to us in our culture. And oddly enough, thousands of years later, they still have the same strategy. When it comes to your family and your life and your marriage and your kids and the relationships that you have, they're going to continue to ask the same two things. Did God really say that? Well, wait, wait. Did God really say that about love and marriage and sex and parenting? Is that, is that really what the Bible says? And even when you share with people and you go straight to what the Bible says and you quote God, then, then the next question comes in. <laughs> Nothing's changed. It's the same strategy. The, the question becomes, well, yeah, but, no, but that's not really what it means. No, 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 maybe that was true a long time ago, but that's not, that's not, that's not true today. Uh, no, that, that's, not, that's not true for us. We live in a different world, in a different culture, in a different society. Like That might have been true for them, but so many things have changed. And so it's not true for us today. Hey, heads up. Like, if you can identify that we are surrounded in a culture full of voices that are constantly saying, did God say that? And is there really such a thing as truth? If you can identify that and, and, and look for it on the horizon, then that'll save you so much trouble in your family and in your marriage and in your parenting and in your relationships and in your life. Nothing has changed. We live in a culture that screams, there's no such thing as truth, and, and manipulates what God said about some key issues. And those things will, will tear your family apart. Verse 6, when the, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Again, the second thing to jot down, here's something that will tear your family and, and your marriage and your whole life apart. It's what they faced as the first family, and you and I face it today. The second thing is we are surrounded by temptation and deception. We are surrounded by temptation and deception. Do you, do you see what happened with Eve here? See, Satan put that fruit out in front of her and looked at it and said, hey, doesn't that look good? Hey, look at this. Check this fruit out. Oh, doesn't it smell good? Why don't you smell it? You want to hold it? Man, it's so, so good to hold. And we are surrounded and bombarded with temptation in our day. And then Satan tried to back it up with deception. He says, you know this will make you happy. Man, you know this fruit is good, right? You know this will give you everything you've ever wanted. You know this will make you fulfilled and it will give you joy. You know you will never be as satisfied as you are. You will never be as smart. You will never be as happy. You will never be as fulfilled in life as if you take this. 
And through temptation and deception, the first family is fooled. And that's the same things for us today. Things are waved in front of us that beg us to believe that this will make us happy and this will make us better and this will make us fulfilled. And no, 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 this will actually bring you great joy and great peace. And you will love this and everything about this. you got to be careful because these voices are speaking and they're filled with deception and filled with these lies to try to convince us to believe something. And we're constantly being tempted by the world around us. And those temptations can destroy every aspect of your life. Once they had eaten the fruit, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know what happens in our marriage and in our family and in our life when we succumb to temptation and belief and deception? Same thing that happened with them. We begin to carry shame. Scripture says that as, as soon as they were deceived and they felt shame and they, they covered themselves with fig leaves. See, that's what, that's what shame does. Shame has the same two effects on us today. We hide ourselves and we cover up things in our life. When we mess up, when we sin, when we bite this idea that somehow we can be happy if we would just chase other things in life and listen to all these voices, it ju- it, listen, it promises so much. You'll be happy. You'll be better. Just leave him and, and go find another marriage or, or just walk out on your family or just leave this situation. and th- there's, there's light over here on the horizon. Just go over here and do that. And all of the promises of deception will ultimately lead to shame. It will result in us wanting to hide ourselves and cover the mistakes up. So many families deal with shame today. So many people are carrying shame around in their life. Maybe it's a professional failure, and you feel like a failure, and that that has brought shame upon your life and your, your family. Maybe you've had bad financial decisions in the past and, and you're in debt and that brings a lot of shame, but, but because we want to hide it and cover it up, the thing that we do in response to debt instead of trying to get out of it is we just spend more money to keep the image up. Maybe your kids are struggling, but you can't admit that and you can't get help and you can't get them help because then if everybody knew how bad your kids were struggling, then that would make them look bad and then it would make you look like a failure. And so instead of actually fixing the problem, you hide it and you run from it and cover it up. And the problem just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and the shame gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Instead of dealing with problems in the family, we'll, we'll try to hide them. We'll try to cover them up. Hey, if we're struggling, let's go spend a bunch of money and go on vacation, right? I mean, at least we can leave reality behind and we can just enjoy ourselves and we try to run from it and we try to hide from reality. Or, I, I got it. If, if we're dissatisfied with where we're at right now, then let's move. Let's change jobs. Let's buy a car. Let's buy a pet. Let's have some kids. Let's get out of this house and get into a bigger house on a better side of town. Then we'll be better. Then we'll be happy. Then we won't have to deal with what's really going on in life. And all of the things that promise us peace and happiness and prosperity 
actually leave us empty and filled with shame. But too many times we just choose to put a mask on and hide our shame and cover it. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. When they begin to feel the shame, they put fig leaves over them. We are the exact same way, but can I, can I tell you this? Our fig leaves are a lot more expensive. We go on big vacations and buy new cars and go into debt and try to portray an image that is actually hiding the real us, hiding our problems, hiding our sin, and hiding our shame. Adam and Eve did it. It's the same thing that you do that I do in our imperfect families, and carrying that shame can ultimately tear us apart. It promises to deliver on the goods, but it always leaves us empty. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman... You put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate it. You want to talk about another thing that's going to tear your marriage and family apart? That's going to make parenting really, really difficult for you and your life really hard? It's the same thing that Adam and Eve did. Jot this down. We get in this pattern after we deal with shame and are carrying shame, where we begin to blame everyone else, including God. Do you see what Adam did? God confronted Adam with his sin, and you know what Adam did? He said, it was the woman. First of all, he blamed others, but then it dawned on him. Who put the woman here? Who created the woman? You did, God. It's her fault, and if it's not her fault, then it's your fault, because you're the one that created her. God looked at Eve, and what did she do? It's the snake's fault. It's not my fault. It's the snake's Wait, who made the snake? You did, God. It's the snake's fault and your fault. And we're blaming everyone else until eventually we'll blame God. Hey, can I warn you on something? If you play the blame game long enough, then you'll get to a point in your life where you will blame God for every single little thing that happens in your life. And when they didn't deal with shame properly and weren't willing to admit that they were an imperfect family, they began to blame each other and to blame everyone else that they could, including God. Verse 16, to the woman, God says, I, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This one may be the most obvious pitfall, the most obvious barrier. It's this, jot it down. Number five, parenting is hard. You want to know something that will challenge your life, that will challenge your marriage, that will be one of the hardest things? I know it's rewarding. I know it's great. I know it's fun. I know it's a gift. But you want to know something that's hard? Parenting. Parenting is hard. Scripture here says that Eve will now experience pain in childbirth. Let me, let, me, let me give you a little insight into the Hebrew there. It's not just the pain associated with childbirth. I know men will never, ever, 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 ever understand the pains, the physical pains that are associated with childbirth. But the Hebrew here is beyond just childbirth, but it's from conception on. God is just helping Eve to understand parenting is hard. I know that, that guys do this as well, and it's like a parenting thing, and we're a team together, but like, let's just be honest. 
when kids have struggles, it hurts the mom and impacts the mom just in a deeper, different way. I mean, I, mean, I know dads care and you're there and, and you're, on, you're on the team as a parent, but, but there's just something about the struggle with kids that will impact mom in a very deep and personal way. And especially for moms, parenting is hard. And it can take an extreme toll on you. Verse 17, to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground before you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you will become. You know what else is hard on the family? It was hard from day one on this imperfect family, but it's hard on our families as well. Number six is work is a pain. <laughs> work is a pain. And God says that, I know I gave you the job to work and subdue the earth, but from here on out, because of sin, work will be harder. It'll be toilsome. It'll make you sweat. You'll be frustrated at it. It'll consume your life. And I know that women are in the workforce and, and carry a load just like men do, but here God addresses it specifically to Adam and says, work will be painful specifically to you. And if you think about men today, Unfortunately, men are the ones that when it comes to our careers and our professions, we take a lot of pride in that, and it almost becomes a part of our identity. If anybody struggles with, with work and putting yourself into it and being driven by it and dominated by it and constantly thinking about it, it's the men in our culture. And that's one of the things that will tear your marriage and your family and your life and your relationships apart. I've seen families be torn apart because a, a man poured himself into his career more than he gave, even to his wife and to his kids. I know kids that grew up with dads, and the dads were there, but they were never there. Because the thing that they cared about the most was chasing the next career and the next promotion and the next job title and the next level of success. And men and women do it the same way. But there's something that, that affects a man and in his identity that he struggles with and it can tear a family apart. Work is a pain now. Can you relate to any of those? Any of those true for you? I would imagine that everyone here that understands that they're a part of an imperfect family, has been impacted by at least one of those at some point in your life. But I'm not going to leave it like that, right? This, this is like the worst downer sermon you may have ever heard. But here's the great thing about the Bible. Despite all of those mistakes, despite all of the imperfections that existed, starting on page two of the Bible, God gives us some great hope. If you have an imperfect family like I do, I want to give you some great hope from Scripture. Write this down, man. This is, this is too good to miss. There is, there is hope. What does God have for you? What is the next step? How can you take those things that plague families and tear lives apart? How can you turn that around? Let, let me show you. Verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
Do you know that even in the midst of an incredibly imperfect family, that there's hope? Here's the deal. Here's hope. Trust that God has a plan. I know your life is crazy. I know your family isn't perfect. I know you and your marriage and your future are not perfect. I get that. But can I just give you some hope? Trust that God has a plan. Because even in the midst of an incredible failure by Adam and Eve, God still made a way. God still made a plan. Even in the midst of their imperfection, they messed it up so bad, so quickly, God still steps in with a plan. And can I just tell you this? If God had a plan for Adam and Eve, then he has a plan for your family. If God can make up for the complete destruction of what Adam and Eve did in their family, then no matter what you've done and no matter where you are, God has a plan to redeem yours. And the hope in this story of the first imperfect family is that you can trust that God has a plan for you. God can change your situation just like he, he changed theirs. It doesn't matter what's happened. Verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all of the living. So, so remember what one of Adam's responsibilities were when he uh, got put on earth by God. Uh, one of his jobs was to name all of the animals, name everything on the earth. And so in verse 20, we reach a point where Adam actually gets to name his wife. And I want to show you the hope that is in that. Did you see that he named her Eve? Here's the second part of hope. There is hope. Speak words of life. There's hope for your broken, imperfect family. Here it is. Speak words of life. Now, chapter 3 was not Adam's finest moment. He dropped the ball in every possible way that he could, and then he blamed his wife, and then he blamed God, and then he didn't step up, and he wasn't a leader, and didn't do what he was supposed to do. But in verse 20, Adam shows like a glimmer of hope. Because after all of that happened, he had the opportunity to give his wife a name. And he could have looked at his wife and said, you know the name I'm going to give for you? The one that got tricked. What's the Hebrew word for the one that got tricked? What's the Hebrew word? What, what's the name, God? What, what, what word am I looking for by the woman that ruined it all for eternity? <laughs> I, I, know, I know. I know what I'll call. I'll give you a name, but I'm going to give you a nickname, kind of like a pet name. I, I'm going to call you the fruit eater. <laughs> the snacker of apples. That's what I'm going to call you. No, he, even though he messed it up so many times, here he took an opportunity to speak life over his family. And he looked at his wife and said, I'm going to call you Eve because you are going to bring life into the world. And scripture even says that out of the woman one day will come a savior that will crush the enemy's head and do away with all imperfections. To provide a way for faith and hope and salvation, even though you are a part of an imperfect world and you have an imperfect marriage and an imperfect family, from Eve will come one day great life. There's hope that we can gravitate towards. For the first time in Adam's story, he does something right. And can I just challenge you? I don't know how long you've been negative. I don't know how long you've been speaking these pour things over your family and over your life and over your marriage. But if Adam can turn it around and speak life and change the course 
of all of humanity, then so can you. God can give you that hope that if you begin to speak those things over your family, instead of blaming each other and blaming God and being negative, what if you spoke life? And how would that change your situation? Last few verses. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground for which he had been taken. God had provided an incredible opportunity for Adam, for Eve, for the first family. And they messed up. Sin creeped into the world. It eroded their relationship and it eroded their relationship with God. And it seemed like everything was lost. But then God made a way. God had a plan. He began to speak life over that first family and it impacted them in a powerful way. The consequence is that they would be pushed out of Eden and would begin their mission outside of the perfection that it was designed. But ultimately, Eden would come as a symbol of Adam and Eve's biggest failure. And maybe you're feeling that. Maybe you've got a past that is littered with mistakes, littered with failures. Can I just share with you the last point of hope? It seems so strange to see that God banished them from the garden, but it was actually this thing that gives me hope, that gives you hope, that gives imperfect people and imperfect families hope. The third point is, is this. There's hope. Leave your past to embrace your future. You gotta leave what is behind in the past. You can't stay in Eden bogged down by your mistakes and the sins of the past. It'll forever affect your future. Eventually, I want you to, in your marriage and in your life, in your relationships, in your family, put the past behind you and walk into the future that God has for you. It begins by refusing to blame God or to blame everyone else and accept the responsibility for your own mistakes. Even if, if it's only 1% your problem, take a moment now and just accept the 1%, the mistakes, admit the sins, and take responsibility for your contribution to the imperfection that you find yourself in right now. And Scripture says that even in the midst of that, we can turn towards God for forgiveness and restoration. That when the Son of God, Jesus, came to earth and died for our sins, He died so that imperfection could be made perfect once again. So that families could be restored. So that marriages could be mended back together. So that lives could be filled with happiness and joy and purpose and satisfaction once again. I get it. It's imperfect. I'm imperfect. Your family is imperfect. But there's hope. There's hope. God has proven it years ago and he will prove it to you again right now. He has a plan words of life, and he has a future. I want to challenge you to walk into it right now and start by focusing on the most important relationship that you'll ever have, the one that will change everything, what Jesus has done for you in the relationship that you can have with God. Take heart, family and friends. There is hope 
for your imperfect life. In his name's Jesus.